Uh, well, we're going to talk today about abundance. And I don't know about you, but it took me quite a long time. I'm not sure if I'm totally there yet, to be honest, but it took me a long time to really fully appreciate what is this abundance that we're talking about and how do we get it? Like, I picture it a little bit like a kid looking into a sweet shop. It would be sweets. It's mostly food-related, my little stories. Uh, But, you know, if you can imagine, picture with me, if you will, a kid walking along and they're looking into this sweet shop. You know, like old-fashioned sweet shops and they had rows and rows and rows of sweets? Well, I imagine it a bit like this kid pressed up against the window looking at all of these incredible things that they desperately want to have. But there's a window there. And they have no money because they're a child. And mum said no. And so they can't have them. And it feels a little bit like that for me when I was thinking about these amazing things everyone told me God could give me. But how do I get them? How do you get to that stage where you're actually living in that place where you're really experiencing the abundance of God? And so I believe that the verse or verses we're about to read gives us a little glimpse into what we can do to try and live out of that place. We're going to read from Mark 4, starting at verse 1. It's a bit of a chunk, I have to say. It is a bit of a chunk of scripture. The last few uh, weeks we've had just small bits, but this is a longer one. And I'm gonna, I was going to cut it down for you, but I want to read every part of this to you. But before I do, this is the point where Jesus is talking in parables. This is the point where he's gathering lots and lots of people. So he's got his 12, he's got his disciples with him, and he's going everywhere, town to town, and loads of people are coming to listen to him. And this is one of those moments. I just want to talk a little bit about parables, because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the parables, I'm a bit like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. You're telling this lovely story, but what what do you mean by that? That's the point. You see, parables are vivid descriptions. Let me get the actual... There is a definition in one of my uh, commentaries that I was reading that I really liked the way he put it. He said, It is a vivid illustration of truth drawn from everyday life. They capture and hold the interest of listeners. And if they are thoughtful, that's us, the listeners, it will lead them to spiritual truth. And then I love this last little part. It says, Otherwise... They will just enjoy the story, laugh, and then forget about it. (laughs) But the parables, they are just taking an everyday situation and making it applicable and bringing an element of spiritual truth to it. So instead of it being this thing that we just can't understand and so we skip by it, actually what they're supposed to be is something that we can understand a bit of God's truth better with. But... This was written how many thousands of years ago? And so it takes us a little bit longer. So it means we have to be willing to dig a little deeper to figure out what is he actually talking about. So this one here uh, that we're about to read, he's talking about farming. Because back then, lots of them were farmers, and so it was really relevant to them back then. So let's pick us up. Mark 4, starting in verse 1. Make yourselves comfortable because it's a bit of a... a a bit of a chunk of scripture, and it's going to come up behind me, hopefully, on the PowerPoint. Yes. In fact, before I read, let me pray. Father God, I just thank you for your word, and thank you that there is truth in every part of it. 
God, I pray that as we read this bit of scripture today, that something of your truth will sink deep into our hearts. Lord, that this word would change us and not just be something that we heard and laughed at and then forgot about. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so it says again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. I love the imagery of that. Can you imagine him just sitting in a boat and there's all these people? He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60 and some a 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And then when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Others like the seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like the seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So I want to address, before we talk about what I believe God wants us to hear this morning, I want to address there's a middle part there that is often used uh, by people who um, don't understand the Bible or, or people who are maybe atheists. And they use this little bit of scripture to talk about how God just wants to trick us. Or maybe God has all of these truths, but he doesn't want us to know them. It's often a bit of scripture uh, that is used and very much abused or misunderstood. And it is this part here. It's verse 10. uh, No, hang on. It's verse 11. It says, he told them. It's the bit where the disciples are asking him, why are you talking in, in parables? Why can't you just tell us in black and white? And you see, they're saying that because they've heard whispers. They've heard people saying, oh, he just talks in complicated words. This is just some club that you guys are in and we're not and we don't get to understand, but you do. But actually what Jesus is doing here is he's using a piece of scripture. Because I don't know if you have it uh, on your Bible, you'll see just next to verse 12, there's a little inset bit and there'll be a little letter next to it, a little footnote. 
You see this little bit here where it says, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. That part is actually from Isaiah. You see, what Jesus is doing is he's using a piece of scripture that they will have had on a scroll from years ago. They will have memorized all of this stuff. And so what he's actually doing is speaking to them at a level that he knows that they'll understand and that they'll trust because it is something from God. So whereas we read this now and we think, wait, what are you saying? Are you saying that only we get to know the truth and that no one else outside does? No, that's not what he's saying. And if you read it in many different, there's lots of different translations of the Bible, uh, you'll get a bigger picture of what this is actually meaning. But what he is meaning is I'm speaking in these parables because I'm trying to make people understand. I'm trying to capture people's attention and I'm trying to uh, speak in plain terms so that they get it. And the reason we know they haven't got it is because they haven't turned and asked for forgiveness and given their lives to the Lord. And that's the bit where it says, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. And so I just wanted to clarify that a little bit because it is a bit where people often are just like, wait a minute. In fact, even when I was reading it the first time, I was like, wait... Is he saying that actually once you're a Christian you get to understand, but before that you don't? I don't understand that. That doesn't seem to match up with what people have told me about God. And I think for me that's a really key thing. If you're ever reading something in the Bible and it jumps out at you as if, hold on, this seems totally contrary to anything I seem to know about God, the the chances are it is. And the chances are you need to read around it. You need to read who is he talking to. You need to read what was happening back then, why was he talking in that language, and what does it mean. And so often little bits of scripture are plucked out, aren't they? Often we have just a little one-liner, but people, that can be dangerous, can't it? People can misunderstand that. So I just wanted to do a little bit of clarification. But as I was reading through this scripture and asking God, what is the thing that you want to talk to us about today? I had three things, which is very helpful to do a preach and have three points. And they all sound similar. It's great when that happens. Today we are going to talk, we're going to reflect, we're going to expect, and we're going to connect. We're going to talk about reflection, expectation, and connection. It's a good time of year to reflect, isn't it? The start of the year. I don't know know about you, but this January has felt a little bit sleepy for me. I don't think I've quite come out of holiday mode yet. But January is often the time where we look back and we reflect, isn't it? It's a time where we think, okay, how did last year go? Was it good? Was it not good? One of the things I was reading about, uh, in fact, it was a, a podcast that I'd heard this week was talking about when we reflect back. And it was talking about the dangers of doing that. Because sometimes when we reflect back, all we see is the bad stuff, isn't it? And we look back and we're like, oh, this, January, uh, this time last year, I promised I would have read the Bible in a year. Oops, I haven't done that. This time last year I said I would have lost two stone. I haven't done that either. This time last year I said I would be getting much fitter, much healthier. Oh dear, I haven't done that either. Or what about, I thought, when I was in a position this time last year, I thought all my friends were going to be really still close to me and that they were going to support me through things. And actually they haven't. And I'm really disappointed. You see, sometimes reflection can be a bad thing. Sometimes it can lead to regret or resentment. And I love what this guy, uh, when I was listening to this podcast, said. He said that regret and resentment are like the devil's R&R. 
I love that because he has power over our way of thinking. You see, if all we look back and see is the bad stuff, then he wants to, he wants to keep us in that place, doesn't he? Because then we're not thinking about God. We're not thinking about what God did in that bad stuff. We're not thinking about how maybe actually our characters have changed significantly because we went through some tough times last year. So I want to suggest that actually when we reflect back, what it can lead to if we do it well is resolution. And I know we spoke a bit about resolutions last year, and I'm not a fan, uh, last week, sorry. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of resolutions, because in my head, I don't want to really set myself up for failure. (laughs) So I kind of just don't bother, but that says a lot more about me than anything else. But it leads to resolution, and when we are resolute on something, we are focused on it, and we are driven And so I think when it's talking about looking at your soil, it's talking about, it it gives four different kinds of soil, but really there's only two. There is soil that produces fruit and soil it doesn't. And it does give us many different things, doesn't it, that could be distracting us. It gives us, you know, the world's ways of uh, tangling us with weeds. Uh, There's thorns in there, there's people, there's a bird that comes and steals it, and all of it is essentially saying, listen guys, there are many things that are going to seek to distract you. There are many things that are going to be vying for your attention, and there are many things that are going to want to keep you down. But keep your eyes focused on me, because when you have good soil, good stuff happens. And so when we reflect back, I challenge us over this next few weeks, to be looking back over last year and thinking, what has God done with this last year? Maybe it's something really subtle, like, actually, if I was in this position this time last year, I would have really lost my temper. But because I've been praying about that, now I'm able to hold my temper a lot more than I did before. It can be something really subtle, or it can be something really big. Actually, I used to struggle with uh, money, and last year we had no job, no nothing, and this year, hey presto, I have a job and we're doing okay. You know, it can, it can be little um, or big, but I challenge you to look back and see where was God in all of that, and what has he done with it? Because I guarantee you he's done something. There are so many scriptures that point to that, aren't there? God is always working in the background. He works out all things for the good of those who love him, and that's us. And so when we're in those tough times and we can't quite hear his voice, it doesn't mean he's not there. It just means we can't see what he's doing. And so I want to ask you, are you where you want to be? Are you where you want to be? And if not, do you know what to do with that? Are you bringing it to God? Are you talking to him about it? Are you talking to your small group leader about it? Are there things in your life where you're just thinking, I don't really know where to go with this? I encourage you to recognize that and then take it somewhere. Go and speak to someone. Whether it's your small group leader or if you're not in a small group, find someone who you can talk to about these things. It's so important. So let's talk about expectation. I believe that this is going to be a year where we need to be expectant because I believe God's going to do big things in our church this year. We saw some incredible things happening last year. 
We um, did some incredible things both in here and out there in the community. And I don't doubt for a second that this year is not going to be much more than that. And so I think we need to be expectant. But as I was thinking about this, God gave me a bit of a picture. Um, And it's one that I've had a few times before, but I had been taken on this kind of journey. almost I had almost a bird's eye view and coming over the top of Ellen. And when I was looking, just me, I saw like pockets of real darkness. And when I've had this picture before, it actually made me a little bit anxious and I actually was kind of worried about it. Like, what is the darkness? Oh, goodness, what are we meant to do about that? And as I was kind of flying over this time, um, the pockets of darkness were uh, less scary because I had God with me. And as he was doing that, he was taking me around and he was showing me that within the dark areas, and this was over the top of Ellen, within the dark areas, actually there's lots of light. There were little houses that had light on. And this verse um, in John 1, 5 came to me and it said, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. At the same time as that, um, later on that day, uh, we were leaving the house and me and Caitlin noticed the sky. I don't know if you've noticed, but the sky has been incredible, um, especially at night time lately. And it was, had, we'd had a couple of really clear nights where the moon was big and bright, but then we'd also had a couple of nights where it was quite cloudy, but the moon was still there. And as we came out, I just felt such a presence of God because there was these huge clouds, huge, like dark, thick clouds, But the moon was so big and bright that it actually lit up all of the cloud. And I did take a photo of it, and I did want to show you the photo, but, you know, when you take a photo on your phone, it's never quite what you expect it to be, is it? So I'm not going to show you. But you can ask me later. But what I love about that is that this light that the Bible's talking about that shines in the darkness, it doesn't just shine in the darkness, it lights up the darkness, And that's what God was showing me, is that with him, we as a church can light up the darkness in Ellen. And I want us to grasp hold of that and expect it for this year. I want us to be expectant for change this year within Ellen, because there are things and people out there that need Jesus. There are things out there that are causing darkness in people's lives. There are things in here that are causing darkness in people's lives. But it says here in the Bible that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And I'd like to also add the darkness cannot overcome it because Jesus is the victor. And so I want us to expect that God is going to do great things within us and he's going to do great things within other people. We want that freedom for people, don't we? If any one of you have experienced even the tiniest bit of goodness from God in your life, why would we not want that for someone else? And so we're going to expect. And I believe God is saying that this isn't just for a select few of us. This is for every single one of us. So if you're sitting there thinking, oh yeah, but they get words and pictures from God and I don't. Or, or, yeah, but they pray much more than I do, or, you know, whatever. We all have those things, don't we? We all have those inner chatterbox things going on in our heads. But I I really feel like what God is saying is this is going to take every single one of you. Every single one of you. There's not one of you missed out. And I wanted to add a little side note in to this little point. I I mentioned it earlier on about how this is not a club 
This is not some elite club that we get to be part of and no one can join. It's the very opposite. And if any one of you have ever experienced church feeling that way, I wanted to apologize on behalf of all of Christians because I know for me it was a perception I had and I never felt that personally because I never actually ventured into church growing up. But I know a lot of people who have. And I know a lot of people who have been hurt that way, where they've felt like, oh, those guys think that they're much better than me. They they think they've got it made, and I'm never going to be able to attain that level of goodness to be able to experience God. I want you to know that that is not the case. What I read in the Bible about God is that this is for every one of us. There's not one part of the Bible where it says, actually, it's only for Lorna. Sorry, you guys, you've all lucked out. But there's nothing in the Bible that says, actually, it's only for maybe 20 of you. Because the rest of them, actually, we just don't have enough. There's nothing that says that. We need to expect that God is going to do great things in our lives and the lives of everyone else that we're around about. And so when it's talking about soil, I want to ask, are we looking around to see what other soil is out there? You see, we talk about spreading the word of God, don't we? We talk about uh, God asks us to be disciples of all, na- make disciples of all nations and go and tell people the word. But for some of us, quite frankly, that freaks us out. Because how are we going to tell people? I can't even speak to my own family about it properly without actually, you know, freaking out. And so how am I meant to tell other people? I just want to encourage you to really invite God into that. Because I guarantee you there are people in your life right now that God is preparing. There are people close to you right now that God has uh, made good soil for. But it takes God. A bit like with that picture that I had, whenever I'd had it before, actually I was quite scared. And when I was looking at the darkness, I was quite scared of it. But the difference came when I was with God. And God took me and he showed me round. And actually I wasn't scared anymore. You see, we can only do all of this when we're right next to Jesus. And so I just, I just encourage you, this week even, take time to say to God, who are the people that I'm around that would be receptive to me asking them along to something? You see, as a church, we have lots of things that you can invite people to. Alpha, starting up soon, you can invite people to that. You can invite people uh, to mainly music that happens on a Tuesday morning if it's um, parents with children or carers with children. Invite them along. Invite them along to City Women. You guys had so many women. How many women? 31 women gathered on Friday night. And there were people there who are not part of church. There were people there who have no connections with church. And that is because one person asked. One person asked them. Lots of people asked. Sometimes they get told no. Sometimes they get told, there is no chance I'm setting foot in your church, please stop, me, stop asking. That's okay. If we stop at the no, then where is it going to go from there? Keep planting those seeds. Keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. But look for your good soil and be expectant that God's going to do something incredible with it. So let's talk about connection. You see, right at the very end of this verse, or actually, 
At the end of both times Jesus is talking uh, about the soils, there's just this little bit. Let me go back to it. Let me find it. Where he talks about it being multiplied. And and I skipped over this every time I've read it in the past. But in verse 20 it says, Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. And it produce a crop, sorry, and it's this part here. Some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. Now this part here is a bit where we just get past it because, well, maybe you don't. I do because it's numbers and I'm not good with numbers, so I always just get past it. But back then in Palestine, a good yield was tenfold. So if you produced 10 times what you'd sown, That was a great crop. That was very significant for you. But he's saying some 30 times, some 60 times, some 100 times. That's huge. And it's proof of God's divine intervention. What it is saying here is that when you're on good soil and you're right next to God, you're going to produce a good crop. That's huge. For them back then, they, for them it will have been massive because they only knew up to 10 times. That was my benchmark. 30, 60, or 100 times what is sown. Jesus is saying that with God, you can have an abundance. With God, he multiplies stuff. How much more will your father give you? There are so many verses on this. So many. What about Psalm 127? Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. We need him with us. John 15 says, we are the vine, he is the branches. You can do nothing without him. John 15:16 says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And Ephesians 2 says, for the grace you have been saved For by grace, sorry, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. There are loads of verses on this. And this is not about us being useless without God. It's about what we can achieve with God. So again, don't tip into thinking, oh my goodness, I can't do anything without him. Oh no, I can't achieve anything. This is about what can we achieve? What can we achieve if we invite God into absolutely every element of our lives? Every single part of it, that nothing would be hidden from him. He can do so much more. And he comes and he meets you right there. I've got a couple of little stories to finish up with just to demonstrate that this doesn't just happen in the Bible. It still happens nowadays talking about God's provision and his abundance and his multiplication. I have a friend uh, who they were years and years ago in dire need. Um, They'd both lost their jobs. They had young children and they had no money. They were renting and were getting to the point where they couldn't really pay their rent and they were on their knees praying and praying and praying. And they believed that God was going to do something, but it was pretty close to the wire. Nothing much was happening. They had uh, people in their church praying for them. They had other people praying for them. But again, nothing's happening. Until one day a knock at the door comes. And this man stands there very awkwardly and says, I don't know quite how to say this, but I feel like 
I've been asked to buy you a house. And I don't know, he didn't know they were Christians, they didn't know he was a Christian. It's just, I'm a Christian and I believe that God speaks to me and this has just happened, it's a little bit weird, but God has asked me to buy you a house, so I'm going to buy you a house. And so he bought them a house. And not just any house, not just a little house. He bought them their dream home. This home is beautiful. It is huge. It fits all of their children. Far less, that you know, much bigger than the one that they had before. Because you see, when God provides for us, he doesn't just give you a little bit. He doesn't even just give you what you need. He gives you so much more than that. I could tell you so many stories and it gets me really excited. What about this guy who... Um, he'd just been paid. He was a student. He'd just been paid and he was uh, praying and he felt like God said, give your wages to so-and-so, your friend. A whole week's wages. So of course he heard this and thought, what? That can't be, that can't be God. I'm not going to do that. And so he ignored it, of course, like any good Christian would. And uh, carried on praying. And so praying, this is lovely. Heard it again and thought, I'm supposed to give my wages to this guy. I don't... mm. Okay. Anyway, to cut a long story short, because I do like the drama, he got to the point where he just went. He couldn't get rid of this, this feeling that he needed to do it, so he just went, knocked on the guy's door and said, I don't know why, but apparently I feel like I need to give you my wages. And it was his full week's wages, but it wasn't like a round number. It wasn't like, say, 50 quid. It was like 50 quid and something, something pence, right? So it was a random number. He gives it to this guy, and on the way home, he's saying to God, for goodness sake, I have worked for those wages, and what am I going to do? Where's my, like, what am I going to, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to go out and meet my mates? This is rubbish. I now have got no money. And so he gets home, and he's unpacking his bag, and the door goes, and you can imagine what's about to happen, can't you? His other friend hands him an envelope with the exact amount that he'd just given away. I mean, you can't put that down to circumstance, can you? There are so many stories, and I would encourage you to speak to some of the other people uh, in our church. In fact, when we're having tea and coffee at the end, speak to somebody, because I know that many of you are sitting with stories like that. And in fact, I want to hear them, because these are the things that get us expectant. These are the things that build our faith. So no matter how small your story is, tell it. It's important. God multiplies what we, what we give, and he multiplies what we ask for. He doesn't just give us what we ask for. So let's summarize very briefly. Talked for far too long already. This passage tells us that there are common traps that we fall into. So as we reflect back over our year, let's not fall into the traps of thinking it was a rubbish year. Let's not only spot the bad things, let's ask where God was in that. This passage tells us to expect multiplication. It tells us to expect good things. And it tells us that there is an abundance available to us. And so the only way I know how to respond to all of that is to pray. So why don't we stand?